Welcome in. Sunday recaps here on Always College Football. A lot of things to take away from yesterday's performances. Let's start in the noon slate because there was a lot to learn from that performance from the Wolverines. That's where we have to start, right? How is it that a team can go on the road to another team's house and not throw the ball after seven minutes in the second quarter? <laughs> that is unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And Michigan, while people are going to lose their mind about, oh, well, look at, look at JJ McCarthy's numbers. They, they clear, they can't play. They're not good. They did what they needed to do to win the game. And it, and it was not sexy offensively. It was not. They had a couple drives there in the second quarter where they were able to run the ball pretty well. Thought Blake Corum had a nice day. Thought the offensive line had a nice day, but they were completely committed to just absolutely physically dominating Penn State. And I don't blame them. I think it's the right play. Absolutely the right play. And that game was sideways there. And I know the final score looks like it's a little bit more competitive with it being 24-15. But that was complete and utter domination. Michigan is an elite football team. But I do now actually watching that game, I do have a couple questions about top end stretch the field um team speed I, I do have a couple questions about that because they weren't running away from Penn State and I know Penn State's good and athletic on the second on the second and third levels defensively but it, it just didn't I thought there'd be more for Michigan in the past game I also thought there'd be more for Michigan being able to create some matchups downfield so I will be watching that a little more closely moving forward I don't know if Maryland's going to be able to deliver Michigan Michigan's you know, chances. I, I think that Maryland's pretty dang average. I don't like the matchup with them against the Wolverines, but we'll be able to kind of find out about Ohio State, who looked really good yesterday. It was one of the first times this year where I felt like Ohio State played to their capabilities. That was one of the first times. And with all due respect to Michigan State, that game shouldn't have been close. Ohio State's defense has been great all year. There's nothing that's changed there. My my opinion of Ohio State has not changed at all. I think they are excellent on that side of the ball. I am, however, or at least coming into this weekend, I have been really skeptical about how inconsistent their offense has been. That's now changed. That's the Kyle McCord performance I wanted to see. And I've wanted to see it for a while. And he looked comfortable. He looked decisive. He was able to drop the ball into spots that were not easy to hit, averaging nearly 11 yards per attempt and looking as comfortable as he's ever looked under center. I'm not sure what happened this past week for Ohio State. I don't know what clicked for Kyle McCord, but that's the guy he needs to be moving forward because if he's like that, they're cooking with gas. Marvin Harrison should be a Heisman contender as well. He's legit, man. He is. There's a lot of great, great receivers in college football. There's a lot. There are probably off the top of my head, maybe seven or eight that are game changers. He's not just a game changer for Ohio State. He's a game changer for the run game. He's a game changer for the the short game, the intermediate game, he's a decoy at times. He's impossible to account for. And he is just unbelievable. I absolutely love watching that guy play. The Georgia Bulldogs, number two team in the country, handled their business. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. Brock Bowers returns, which is naturally a significant, significant return. 26 days after the tightrope surgery. He, he didn't have a huge impact on the game, but his presence was felt. 
for the Ole Miss defense. But when you look at kind of where everything is going for Georgia, it's been a moment. It's been a while, probably, since we've really seen them at their best. And I tweeted this last night, and I said, Georgia's back. Like, that's the that's the team that you need to be prepared for down the stretch. They are legit. That's a really good football team. And I know Ole Miss. I, I think Ole Miss is fine. They're, they're a fine football team. They're okay. Um, I kind of put them in the Penn State category. Like, always going to finish third. <laughs> at best, they'll finish third. There's something along the lines of that. Either way, um, when you look at the Georgia performance, though, Carson Beck's awesome. He's been awesome. There isn't a whole lot that's surprising about his performance. The run game is starting to get going a little bit. Kendall Milton has battled some injuries this year. He's able to break off the long one. That was huge for them as well. And it was just a steady beatdown from Georgia on the defensive side as well. I mean, you're able to obviously get the pick on Jackson Dart. They weren't able to run the football with crazy efficiency they averaged about four yards a carry but it was not a crazy efficient performance because i thought that was something that Ole Miss was going to be able to do i thought Ole Miss was going to be able to run the football george has been susceptible against the run and while you look at the numbers 179 carries or 179 yards on 45 carries yeah but when you take into account how things went kind of in the little bit later in the game when it was already decided, that number might not necessarily reflect just how capable they were running the football. So that was the Georgia performance I want to see moving forward. Georgia is for real. We know that. And I think in this week's rankings, I'm probably going to make a little alteration to my rankings based on what I saw this past week from Georgia. Ole Miss, they're, they're ranked in the top 10. That team was skating on thin ice for a while. This was coming. Wasn't surprised by it, really. I thought they'd battle and hang for a little bit longer, but Georgia was just too good yesterday to do anything of, uh, for Ole Miss to do anything of significance. Bear is awesome. Let me tell you why. At the Home Depot, Saturdays are about two things. Getting projects done right with Bear Premium Plus interior paint and football. And with wall-to-wall coverage, you'll spend less time worrying about your walls, which means more time spent cheering on your favorite team. Isn't that what we all want? Home projects can be stressful and take forever. And worse, sometimes they require a redo. But with Bear, you'll get no mess, no stress paint that can take a hit or a spill. It's long-lasting, durable finish can take anything your Saturday throws at them. From footballs to meatballs, game days can get crazy. From food spills to handprints to how did my giant foam finger cause a smudge? You need paint that's as strong as the offensive line. So get walls that are just as tough as your team that'll hold up under game time pressure with Bear Premium Plus interior paint. Whether you show your team spirit or keep it neutral, upgrade your game time with Bear and the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Have you ever dreamed of hitting the road in your very own customized Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. Follow college football all season long by hitting all the biggest games in college football's most celebrated stadiums. At ESPN, we dreamed that dream, and with the help of Mercedes-Benz, we made it happen. This year, our very own Jen Latta has teamed up with Mercedes-Benz designers to create a road-ready, fully functional, 
state-of-the-art podcast studio on wheels. The ride is pure Mercedes-Benz with all-wheel drive and the latest driver assistance, safety, and tech. The podcast studio must be seen and heard to be believed. A spacious and chill conversation space with mics, camera, and mixing board to capture the action. On board, Jen Latta will be interviewing some of the biggest names in college football. All points to Mercedes-Benz for always bringing some extra. Out back of the Sprinter, they're innovating. Pushing the science of the tailgate, complete with grill, cooler, TV monitors, and more. This is hashtag van life meets the fan life. To get an inside look to this one-of-a-kind, blow-your-mind collaboration came together, visit mbvans.com slash sprinterlabs. The Mercedes-Benz ESPN College Football Podcast Sprinter coming soon to a game near you. Uh, let's get to the number five team, Washington and Utah. The game was going on right next to our game. I was calling Miami and Florida State. I'm going to talk about that one in just a moment. But I'm watching in my bottom right corner. I have a screen of whatever game I want. And I, I decided that I'm going to put on Utah and Washington. And I look over periodically. I, I don't... I so. Full disclosure, I have not watched every single snap in the game. I will get there at some point here very, very soon. Uh, as soon as Washington and or Utah decides to upload their game tape, I can't wait to watch that. But here's my takeaway from that game. It felt like a track meet for a little bit. First half especially, right? It felt like it was going to be... I didn't think it'd be that high scoring. I thought it was going to be relatively low scoring. Personally, I thought that's how, how it was going to go. Uh, I thought Utah would be able to hang defensively. I did not anticipate Utah being able to score that many points. I didn't anticipate it at all, especially, too, when I looked at the forecast. I looked at the forecast, and I see a 17-mile-an-hour winds or so. Y'all realize how significant 17-mile-an-hour winds are for a quarterback? I mean, that is crazy significant. I mean, to still be accurate under those circumstances is almost impossible, and not just... Penix, but Bowers, I thought, or uh, Barnes, excuse me. Brock Bowers still on my mind. Uh, Barnes, I thought, handled it pretty well, as probably as well as you could imagine. The other thing that was encouraging, I think, for Washington, they weren't as susceptible on the ground defensively. Felt like Washington, hey, you can run it on them. You might be able to create some space against them. And while they gave up a buck 15, it was kind of spread out over the course of the game. It wasn't like they were able to just constantly chip away. I mean, Bryson Barnes, for example, was the was the leading rusher for the Utah Utes. So that, I thought, was fairly significant as well. So a good performance from Washington. Survive in advance at this point for the Huskies. They're in control of their own destiny. I don't envision a scenario in which they would be left out. If they went out, they're in good shape. And they should be able to handle their business as they continue on other games of significance um, or other takeaways of significance. Let's go with Florida state and let's, I'm going to start this discussion by talking quickly about the Miami hurricanes. Miami is really good. And I know a lot of people will push back at that and say they're six and four. I understand that. And I'm not suggesting they need to be in the playoff. All I'm saying is that that team's close. They're really close. Hey, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. I get that. But 
they're really close. That team has a chance, I think, next year to potentially break through. Miami is close. They feel a little bit like Florida State a year ago, where it's like, oh, man, you can see it. They're improved. They're so drastically improved. It just feels like they got to start winning some games. They got to handle their business, and they just couldn't quite get over the hump. But I feel like Miami is very comparable to where Florida State was a year, maybe two years ago. So they're almost there. They'll get there hopefully very soon under Mario Cristobal. But Florida State, that was a gutsy performance. And there was a moment in the in the third quarter where it was the first opening possession of the third quarter. They decided to try the onside kick. It, Miami, Frank Ladson made an incredible play, goes up and snags it. Reels it in. Miami's got the short field. They end up kicking the field goal. They're up 13 to 10. And then when you look forward a little bit, like the middle of the third quarter, it, it felt like Florida State was kind of getting outplayed a little bit. Just a little bit. I'm not saying a lot. And then, boom, things tightened up immediately. The defense settled in. They couldn't. Miami wasn't able to run the football anymore. The They weren't able to create any separation in the passing game, if not for the one throw down the right sideline. Miami had basically nothing going for them in the second half of that football game. So that was as good of a Florida State second half defensive performance as we've seen in a while. And that team has been excellent in the second half of games in recent weeks. That is a really good football team. Offensively, though, I am a little bit curious about their offensive line. I know they're super experienced. They have eight guys that rotate, but they have been without a couple pieces, and they've kind of had to make do. They have eight guys that, that rotate, but I don't feel like that's a crazy imposing group. They're fine. They're solid. They do a good job, and the scheme protects them, but they can't just mow people down. It's just not who they are. Maybe that'll develop and come on as the season goes along, but that will be interesting because I think the receivers are super elite. I think the quarterback is elite. I think the running running back is elite. I think the offensive line is just okay. And that's not a place where I want to be just okay heading into a potential playoff run. So that's worth noting as well. Oregon. That game felt more convincing than it was. Did you guys feel the same way I did in watching that game? There was never a moment in which I felt, especially there in the second half, there was never a moment, and I was like trying to stay open, like clockwork orange, trying to watch this game. I was so tired by the time I got home and everything. I wanted to go to bed so bad, but I'm like, I got to watch USC and Oregon. Anyways, that game didn't feel as competitive as it was. Felt like, all right, this is uh, this is a one-sided affair. I thought that there were moments where SC did some nice things for sure. But the SC wasn't able to really run the football. Uh, Oregon, meanwhile, averaging four and a half a carry. Uh, Bo Nix, crazy efficient again. He always is. Uh, the guy just continues to play at a crazy high level and should be on the short list for your Heisman Trophy consideration. Troy Franklin... Had a, had the touchdown on one of the worst defensive plays by a safety I've seen all season. He literally, I mean, Troy Franklin hits it and just runs right out and around. The safety is like standing still. It'd be like you and I trying to tackle Troy Franklin in the open field. We wouldn't be able to do that. I know I wouldn't be able to do that. I don't want to speak for you. 
we wouldn't be able to do that. But he just zipped right around him, and it was out the gate. So <laughs> he showed off some open field speed big time on the long catch-and-run touchdown pass. But defensively, SC battled. They did the best they could. It just wasn't enough, and I'm not sure anybody anticipated it being enough. And I remember a few weeks back, I said about SC, I was like, this is a 7-5 and five football team. I mean, and that was that was initially when they first I think they beat Arizona that week when I said, this is a seven and five football team. Just not very good. You remove Caleb Williams, they become crazy average, crazy, crazy average. And here we are going into the final week of the season where USC will probably be a slight underdog to UCLA. They're on the verge of finishing seven and five at best eight and four with arguably the best player in college football as your quarterback. It's a scary thought. It really is. Not ideal out there in Hollywood, but Oregon, they do what they do. That was not going to be a super competitive game. It wasn't shocking. Oregon, when you look here a week, two weeks from now, at Arizona State, I don't think the Sun Devils are going to have anything for Oregon this week. I, if they were a little bit better, if they weren't so banged up, maybe, but probably not. I mean, Arizona State's what? Three and seven? But I do think the final week of the season against Oregon State will be a crazy good challenge. Oregon State's legit. And they are really, really good. Eight and two overall, five and two in the league. Oregon State matches up, I think, pretty well at the line of scrimmage with the Oregon Ducks. So the the rivalry game between Oregon and Oregon State in a couple of weeks is going to be must see TV. I'm very, very excited about that. The Texas Longhorns. Another example, this team is just so remarkably frustrating. Oh my goodness. They are so good. They're so good. But why can they not play for 60 minutes? I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. They get a big lead, like always, only to come back to earth. Every, I mean, how many different examples this year? Kansas State last week, last year, last week. 27 to 6 or so, whatever it was, they were up three scores. There's a lot to a little. They're at one point in the ball game. Earlier in the year against Houston, they're up 21 nothing. Next thing you know, the game's tied at 24 and they're battling there in the fourth quarter. This past week, you're up 26 6 or so. Three points scored in the second half. You hang on for dear life and winning 29 to 26. I just don't understand. Like it's like they exhale. It's like they it's like, all right, we got this. Oh, we did it. Good job, guys. And then boom, team comes back and makes makes a couple plays. And next thing you know, you're you're in a little bit of panic mode. I mean, they have to address this. They have to. Whether they keep the gas pedal pressed, and this is not just for this year, too. For Texas, this has been going on for years. Since Steve Sarkeesian got there, they get big leads in the first half. They look amazing. Their game plan is sound. They do an incredible job. Then in the second half, they get dominated. I don't know why that happens. I don't get it. I mean, to make that game as competitive as it was there in the fourth quarter where TCU scores 20 points, just in the fourth quarter alone after scoring six in the previous three, that's not ideal. I mean, fourth quarter is when championships are decided. And Texas still hasn't quite figured it out. Speaking of figured it out, Alabama is playing their best football at the best time of the year. That is a team, and I was very surprised 
by how bad Kentucky was defensively. Now, you can look at Kentucky the last three or four weeks, five weeks since October 1st, where they just got destroyed on that side of the ball. I thought that maybe for this one, they'd be a little more sound. They'd make Alabama earn it, and they'd be in a good position to force Alabama to play offense and snap the ball and matriculate their way down the field, et cetera. That was... That was a terrific offensive performance from Alabama. And I was trying, I think like all of us, I think all of us were trying to figure out, okay, Alabama, we know Alabama when they rev their engine, they're really good. That's, that's to be, that's, there's no debating that. But with this, I didn't think this would be a potential letdown spot. I didn't anticipate a, a upset or anything like that. I just thought it was going to be a little bit low scoring because Kentucky's defense would be able to hang in there. And then I attributed a lot of Alabama's offensive dominance last week to the fact that LSU's defense is very gettable. So that was against a good defense, and Alabama scored more points than they did a week ago. And Kentucky, I think, is I have respect for Kentucky on that side of the ball. Jalen Milrow and the offense for Alabama has really found their rhythm. Tommy Reese is doing a great job. Jalen Milrow is doing a great job in scramble drill, and they are doing really good job on scramble drill technique at the wide receiver position as well, dropping things in the bucket over the top, all that stuff. So very excited to see the growth of this football team. They are well positioned at the moment to play against anybody on their schedule. I think he's going to Hey, Nick Saban and company, hey, Georgia looks great. They're going to be amazing. That matchup is set. Alabama out of the West, Georgia out of the East for the SEC title. It'll be a great matchup. I, I really can't wait for it. It's going to be absolutely awesome. And the Tide should feel great about how much better they've gotten. Goodness gracious, man. They are unrecognizable from where they were six or seven weeks ago. Uh, a couple other takeaways, not specific games, but just thoughts as I free flow. Throughout this, um, Jaden Daniels at LSU is incredible. I have not, in an effort to just fully disclose, I have not had an opportunity to watch the entire tape. I see the numbers. I've seen the highlights. He's amazing. Um, if he's not in the mix for the Heisman Trophy, I would be shocked. He's been, if the award is designed to go to the most outstanding player in college football, he has to be close. I'm not saying he's one. I'm not saying he's two. I'm not saying he's three. He has to be close. So that's something that is worth acknowledging. Uh, Colorado, they've lost, they're now one and six in their last seven. So that's less than stellar as Arizona now is seven and three. That is incredible. North Carolina prolongs the race. They're in the ACC because Louisville would have clinched the ACC title game berth. Had North Carolina lost, it looked for a moment like North Carolina might, but they held off there in overtime to stop the two-point conversion and ultimately get the win. Kansas State bounced back in a big way. Tulane survived the nail-biter. Nail uh, Iowa and Rutgers was exactly how we thought it'd go. <laughs> Low-scoring affair, but how about 16 points in the fourth quarter there for Iowa? 16-point quarter for Iowa. we got to feel good about that. Oklahoma, West Virginia, Oklahoma bounces back in a big way. Kansas gets upset against Texas Tech. Missouri absolutely destroys Tennessee. Destroys Tennessee. Um, had that one on, too, in our quad box. I referenced watching Washington, watching Washington earlier. 
But I had that one on on the left side of the quad box. And man, that was, I mean, every time I looked over, it looked like Cody Schrader was taken off for another big gain. I mean, Tennessee got gashed in a big way. That was a disappointing performance. And then finally, can we stop building up Penn State as if they're a real threat to Michigan and Ohio State? Can we please? It's, and it's nothing against Penn State. It's nothing against oh, Michigan or Ohio State. I have tons of respect for both. But when you evaluate Penn State, there's always something missing. Whether it's James Franklin or, uh, and I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but in the big moment, they always seem to collapse. And it, and it was last week's game, I thought it'd be more convincing that Michigan would dominate them because I just don't trust Penn State. And we build them up every year. Oh, here, here they are. Best left tackle in the game. Drew Aller's a five star. Oh, well, look at these two five star running backs. Oh, they got a five star linebacker. Oh, they got a five star corner. It's like, all right, great. They got good players and they get beat every single time they play against a legit opponent. Now, I'm not trying to say, well, fine, what they do in bowl games and what they do in, in I, first of all, I don't care about bowl results. That's not, I'm not going to draw any conclusions from how you play in a bowl game against Kentucky. It doesn't, uh, that doesn't make a difference to me. It just doesn't. Um, but there's just something missing there. If that program's really going to go to the next level, something has to be done. It has to be adjusted, has to be tweaked, and James Franklin needs to look and turn like, how do we adjust this? How do we make a difference here? Because it's it's on him. I mean, when you think about your performances against Michigan and Ohio State since you've been there, Michigan was as down as they've been in the last 30 years when you got the job. and You beat them three times. It's great. It's really good. Uh, Ohio State... It required you holding on a field goal. And go back and watch the play. You ask any official, that was holding on the field goal block unit. They rip a guy inside, guy shoots the gap, blocks it, takes it back to the house. So you had to hold on a field goal to create an illegal play that should have been flagged to return a blocked field goal to the house to beat Ohio State in the one time you beat Ohio State. So I... Look, I... If I'm Penn State, I'm unbelievably frustrated because I'm getting the bronze every year. And people say, well, that's, I mean, that's pretty good. You lose the two of the top five teams in the country. Great. But if you want to be average, that's fine. And being third in a seven-team division is average to me. If you want to achieve the highest levels of football, something's got to change. I don't know what that is. Introducing the AT&T 5G Helmet, the world's first football helmet designed to level the playing field for deaf and hard of hearing players. Radio communication continues to be the primary way professional football coaches and players communicate during the game. But if the highest level of football requires athletes to hear, it presents a significant gap for athletes that cannot. This discovery created an opportunity to apply the power of AT&T's 5G technology to make sports more inclusive. AT&T is a staple of college sports, always exploring ways to use the expertise in connectivity to advance the way coaches, athletes, and fans experience the game. Our collaboration led to the first ever 5G connected helmet. It sends the coach's play call from the device on the sidelines directly to a visual display lens on the helmet meaning does not rely on sound or hearing to communicate. So for the first time ever, these players can always get the same information from their coach as their hearing counterparts. The AT&T 5G helmet. 
AT&T, connecting changes everything. Learn more at att.com slash 5G helmet. Helmet is not for sale. AT&T is a proud supporter of the Gallaudet Bison. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Breaking news. Always hate doing these special edition Sunday shows because of dismissals, but there are a lot of sources at the moment that are saying that Jimbo Fisher will be relieved of his duties as the AM head coach within the next handful of minutes, hours. Supposedly, it's going to go down here on Sunday morning. It's pretty crazy because the timing doesn't make any sense. It, it Unless there was all of a sudden some booster said, all right, yeah, fine, we'll pay him the $60, $70 million that we owe him. I don't know what the exact buyout number is at the moment. Felt like AM hasn't really progressed the way many people thought they would. They currently sit at six and four, but they had just 24 hours ago beaten Mississippi State 51 to 10. That's a beatdown. That was probably the best and most complete performance that Texas A&M has had all season long. And I'm not saying I disagree with the decision, but it, the timing of them letting him go right now, saying, you're out, time to move forward. We're going to pay that money in the buyout that we owe you. And we're going to bring someone else in. The timing indicates that they already have their guy. That's That's just what I'm reading into it. You don't make a move like this fresh after the best performance of the team season if you don't have a guy that's already on the hook. And then you run the risk if Jimbo Fisher starts to create a little momentum and they finish eight and four, and then they win their bowl game, then they're nine and four, and then you can't let them go. So they are proactively getting out in front of this, given the way the team performed yesterday. But they obviously acknowledge for the long-term growth health of the of the program, they feel like they need to make an adjustment. I can't say I disagree with it. I like Jimbo Fisher just fine, but I can't say I disagree. The program has felt like they were stuck in the mud for quite some time. So it will be very interesting to see what happens very soon because I would imagine this coaching search is probably already done. And I would imagine it's probably going to be star-studded. So let's keep it locked in here at Always College Football, continuing to follow all the latest news on the sport that we love so much. So we will keep you posted. Anything we hear about Always College Football, we'll come back for an extra special. This was a special breaking news update. We'll come back for an extra special update if we find out more information. So keep it locked in right here on ESPN, ESPN YouTube channel and wherever you get your podcast with always college football. So keep you posted. Jimbo Fisher's out as the head coach of AM.